sharp, pointed, and insightful. This is Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. We know exactly what path we're on. We know exactly what actions we need to take. And while that may take more time than some people want it to take, I respect their impatience. It's a beautiful thing, and it's important. If tariffs is what it takes to get Mexico to do better on their side of the border, I'm all for tariffs. Trump's not the problem. Mexico's the problem. Republicans are not the problem. Democrats won't vote to change the laws. I want to see security at our border. I'm going to see great trade. I'm going to see a lot of things happening, and that is happening. And as you know, Mexico called. They want to meet. Secretary Pompeo is going to be at the meeting, along with a few others that are very good at this, and we are going to see if we can do something. And now, Stacy Washington. Hey there, welcome to the program. You know it's summertime, and it's also super hot now. So spring again has eluded us, but I guess we're going to survive. Welcome to the program. We have a hump day today. Happy hump day. Donald John Trump is still your president and other news we're gonna be getting into at this hour in the program. We have Kendra Knox of AFA Studios joining us to talk about the Ryan DeFratis video series that's produced by American Family Radio, American Family Association Studios actually. And we're also gonna talk about this New Mexico governor who at first was big and bad and wanted to have all the troops pulled from the southern border for, for their portion of the southern border. They didn't want National Guard there, they didn't want any help at all. But now that the onslaught has just continued unabated and they're overwhelmed, they're asking for the National Guard back. They're asking for any help they can get from the federal government. And I think that's really like it's like hypocrites are us. Hey, welcome. Welcome back. Thanks for coming on around. Now, first, you need to retract what you said initially and start telling the truth about what's going on in your state and the southern border. How about that? So uh, we're going to get into that. We also have um, this Basically, you got this Russian fighter jet and it buzzed one of our aircraft carriers. This is dangerous behavior. Like it's it's all well and good for the Russian pilot who's like, you know what? I'm going to buzz these Americans and let them know we're we're out here. We're big, we're bad, and we're strong and our jets are fast. But what they can't account for is the level of training for those who are, you know, actually on duty monitoring the skies while they're doing these stupid stunts. And whether or not someone might make a decision to, you know, release a surface to air missile or scramble a couple of jets with, you know, orders. You know what I'm saying? It's like this is real war type stuff. And um, I think it's it's right and proper for for us to be concerned about it and for us to see what what exactly is going on. I know we're not exactly best, best friends with Russia, but we are allies of sorts. Why do they feel like they need to keep doing this? Um, so we will, we'll get into that story. We'll take your calls at 866-963-2037, 866-963-2037. And right now I want to get into our encouragement. So this to me is one of those stories that it shouldn't be a story, but we can learn a lot from it. This starts off with, uh, president Trump on Sunday, he'd been out golfing and he was in McLean, Virginia. And of course there was the shooting there. And that had, that had occurred. And so he stopped by a church there and it was an impromptu thing. Literally that the church gets a phone call 
someone at the church, hey, the pastor's coming or, or the, to their pastor, the president is coming and he's getting ready to do his, you know, his 11 a.m. service. And he's like, the president of the United States is coming. Like, yeah, the president of the United States is coming. He's going to be there, um, you know, in, in so many minutes. So he had kind of this short notice kind of thing. Hey, the president of the United States is going to be at your church and you can't just usher him in and sit him at the back, right? He's the president. You got to, you got to bring him up to the front An impromptu visit from the commander in chief. So the pastor there, his name's David Platt and he's the pastor of McLean Bible church. And it's actually in Vienna, Virginia. And this happened on Sunday. So he, the, and you might've seen the news story. It's being painted in a, bu- a bunch of different ways. But I think there's something for us to learn from this. So this this pastor, he first of all, he knew God answers prayer. He hears and answers prayer. He can soften hearts. He can change minds. So he decides, you know, I'm not going to send him a note and say, don't come. I'm, you know, obviously the, the president's coming here. This is my chance to speak the gospel to the president of the United States and to pray over him. So, of course, we're going to do this. So he just acknowledges in his mind. He even says a prayer of his own. You know, Lord, you know. You have commanded us to pray for those who are placed in authority over us, regardless of their political party. I called for prayer for President Obama. I felt he needed it urgently and that we should pray for him. And it was praying for him that softened my heart up enough to be able to not fall into the trap that some fell into on the right by hating him. And so it was that prayer that saved me from that. So it is important for us to do as Christians. So I set the stage. The president is inbound. He's coming from the golf course. He's casual, polo shirt and khakis, hat. He's coming in, uh, also a blazer. So he gets to McLean Bible Church, and he basically says in the message that he's coming, I want to visit with the pastor and pray for the victims and community of Virginia Beach, where 12 people were killed in a mass shooting on Friday. So he says at the end of his sermon at the 1 p.m. worship gathering, he steps to the side they're preparing to take the Lord's Supper, and then he's immediately called backstage until the president is on the way. So he thinks of the verse from 1 Timothy, which commands Christians to pray for kings and all who are in high positions. And he says, in a brief moment, and this we know all of this, this, this sequence of events, because this pastor took the time to address his congregation formally online in a post to let them know how this came to be, how it came to be that they're preparing to take communion and all of a sudden the president of the United States is standing there, right? So he writes in in this post, I won't go into the details of our conversation backstage, but one of our other pastors and I spoke the gospel in in a way that I pray was clear, forthright and compassionate. Then I walked back out on stage, read 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 6, and sought to pray the word of God over the president, other leaders in our country. After I prayed, The president walked off stage without comment, and we closed our gathering by celebrating the heroes among us, a couple who has spent the last 48 years spreading the gospel in remote places where it had never gone before they came. Then they recited the Great Commission, as they always do, sending one another out into the city for the glory of our king. Now, to me, that sounds like the only thing he could have done as a God-fearing pastor over a congregation where he, he says to describe his congregation, they have people in their congregation from over 100 countries. So it's a very varied background or, you know, our, our buzzword that we hate, diverse backgrounds in the congregation, meaning not everyone there is a MAGA hat wearing patriot. 
Um, also, not everyone there is a card-carrying, you know, liberal Democrat. They have everyone worshiping together. So here's the prayer that he prayed over the president of the United States. And the reason I'm sharing it with you is because in order for you to understand the context of the story, you have to hear what he said over the president, and then you can make up your own mind. Of course, I'm going to give my opinion, but you, you can make up your own mind after listening to what he said. Oh God, we praise you as the one universal king over all. You are our leader and our Lord, and we worship you. There is one God and one Savior, and it's you, and your name is Jesus. As we exalt you, Jesus, we know we need your mercy. We need your grace. We need your help. We need your wisdom in our country. And so we stand right now on behalf of our president, and we pray for your grace and your mercy and your wisdom upon him. God, we pray that he would know how much you love him, so much that you sent Jesus to die for his sins, our sins, so we pray that he would look to you, that he would trust in you, that he would lean on you, that he would govern and make decisions in ways that are good for justice and good for righteousness and good for equity for every good path. Lord, we pray, we pray that you would give him all the grace he needs to govern in ways that we just saw in 1 Timothy 2 that lead to peaceful and quiet lives, godly and dignified in every way. God, we pray for your blessing in that way upon his family. We pray that you would give them strength. We pray that you would give them clarity, wisdom, Wisdom, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Please, O God, give him wisdom and help him to lead our country alongside other leaders. We pray today for leaders in Congress. We pray for leaders in courts. We pray for leaders in national and state levels. Please, O God, help us look to you. Help us to trust in your word. Help us to seek your wisdom and live in ways that reflect your love and your grace and your righteousness and your justice. We pray for your blessings on our president toward that end. And then He closed out the prayer and the president, without addressing the congregation at all, turned and left the stage and exited their church. Now the man is taking flack because some within his church are hurt that he chose to pray over the president. Now, I'm I'm going to do my best not to get all riled up like the last time I did when we were talking about Steve Harvey catching flack from people in the black community because back when the president was taking meetings at Trump Tower, he invited Steve Harvey to come and Steve Harvey went and spoke with him. Because I've said it before and I'll say it again here if you just tuned into the show, welcome, prepare your ears. It is foolishness to refuse to take a meeting with the president of the United States. If you do so, you're shooting your own foot, you're shooting your knee, you're shooting your elbow, you're doing everything you can to harm yourself because he's still going to be the president whether you go meet with him or not. But if you have the opportunity to meet with the man and tell him what's on your heart, perhaps elevating an issue, perhaps getting something done that would not otherwise be able to be done, then you are the fool for not taking the meeting. In the same way, this pastor had an opportunity to pray what he felt God had laid upon his heart over the president of the United States. He'll never get the opportunity again. The president is not going to be back in McLean, Virginia or McLean Bible Church in Vienna, Virginia, asking this man to pray over him again. I mean, anything's possible, but you and I know it's not going to happen. Had he turned the president down, he'd be famous among the liberals for turning him down. But there'd be millions of Christians across the country who would see a poor example set of someone saying, this person isn't good enough for the gospel. You know, it's fine For politics to pick and choose and say, you know, we're not going to run ads on that station. We're not going to knock doors in that community. We're not we don't need to win there. We see how that worked out for Hillary. If you're not willing to go ask for the votes, you won't get them. But this isn't about voting, is it? He didn't visit the uh, Virginia McLean, Virginia 
GOP headquarters or the McLean, Virginia Libertarian headquarters or the headquarters for the Democratic Party of McLean, Virginia or Vienna, Virginia, he was at a church seeking an opportunity to join in prayer with these people to pray over them and their community because they experienced a tragedy. Now, the the prayer that this pastor prayed over the president doesn't actually go into what happened with the shooting. But if that's not what God laid on this pastor's heart, then he was obedient and praying what he felt God had laid on his heart to pray for the president and ministering to him backstage before they actually came out. And so we don't know the president's true state of, you know, of his soul and his salvation. We know what he said. We know we had Paula White on the show and people were blasting me for having her on here. It was an opportunity to speak to someone who has prayed with the president. I wanted to hear her perspective for people who feel she's an apostate. Great. That's your opinion. But it was an opportunity for me to have her on the show and talk to her. And I thought it was beneficial. And in the same way, not like she's the president, but she does pray with them and she leads them in Bible study and has done so for years. It was interesting to hear where she was coming from. And in the same way, this pastor, Pastor Platt, did what the will of God is, which is the word is supposed to go out to every man in every nation. And as his disciples, we're supposed to be the ones to put it out there. And so if we're too good to put our hands on somebody because he says mean things on Twitter or he wants to deport illegal aliens or whatever lies. There's so many 10,000 lies from the left about what the president is doing. If a pastor is too high and mighty to say, you know what? This is the commander in chief. He's been placed in authority over me. And the Bible says that God turns the head of the ruler, whichever way he would have it to go. So if I can connect up with this man and I can pray to the father on his behalf, I'm going to take that opportunity because I have, I have every confidence that God is able to do everything he says in his word and more, even greater, far and above anything I dare ask or think according to the power which works within us, which is Christ Jesus salvation and the Holy Spirit. That is what he was supposed to do. And so if we can take anything from it, for the people who listen to this show who don't like Donald Trump, for the people who are wearing their MAGA hats right now and have on their Trump tennis shoes and they have on their Trump t-shirt, from everybody in between, if you have Trump derangement syndrome, if you love him like he's your brother, our mandate as Christians is to pray for him. God bless Pastor Platt for being obedient to the word of God. Would that we would all be so obedient. We'll be right back. It's amazing, but true. When it comes to one of America's biggest household expenditures, health care, a lot of people think they've got no choice. People are used to thinking we have to do it this way, but they don't. Yes, you have the freedom to choose an alternative with your health care. It's MediShare, and it costs way less than the alternatives. The typical family saves $500 a month, not a year. A month. And if you're single, this can save you a lot too. And let's face it, a big reason MediShare is 400,000 people strong, it just works. They've shared over $3 billion in medical bills, so they can help share your needs too. Joining MediShare for so many people is one of those things that makes you say, why didn't I do this before? So yes, the time has come for something better. Look into joining MediShare and see why so many people are opting out of the old way and into the new. Why not look into this? Just call 855-PSALM-23. That's 855-PSALM-23. 855-PSALM-23. 
Hi, I'm Crawford Loritz with a Legacy Moment. Recently, I saw a Christian leader being interviewed on television. Now, I was glad this man had had considerable experience in dealing with the secular press. The interviewer asked the leader a few friendly, warm, easy questions at the beginning, but it was a classic ambush. Then in rapid-fire succession, he threw out questions that were really conclusions, demanding wisdom and skill to handle. But God gave the Christian leader not only the ability to avoid the trap, but also to present a very inviting and appealing witness for Christ. I really was glad this man knew what he was doing. This is a reminder that not everybody has honest good intentions. Some people are so driven by getting what they want that they'll resort to scheming to make it happen. Now, to be strategic in our approach to life and to accomplishing our objectives is not wrong. We ought to be wise and with how we approach things. We're to be shrewd, but not dishonest. Shrewd, but not manipulative. Deception and dishonesty in order to get what you want is flat-out sin. From Genesis to Revelation, God really has strong things to say about deception and manipulation. In Proverbs chapter 6, verses 16 through 18, God lists these schemers as part of what he hates. There are six things which the Lord hates, yes, seven, which are an abomination to him, haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, and here it is in verse 18, and a heart that devises wicked plans. Did you get that? God says that he hates a heart that devises wicked plans. Sinful means are never justified, even if the goal is pure. Here's what I want you to remember and do today. Don't scheme. Join Crawford Loritz tomorrow for another Legacy Moment. Welcome back to Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Welcome back to the program. Thanks so much for being with us today. You can find out more about everything that we do at onenewsnow.com, AFR.net, and urbanfamilytalk.com. Right now, it's my pleasure to welcome Kendra Knox of American Family Association Studios. Kendra, thanks for joining us today. Hi, Stacey. Thank you so much for this opportunity. Sure. Um, so apparently there's some new exciting stuff coming out of AFA Studios, which is always good news for families with children and people who want quality content. So what is the new project that is uh, actually out recent? New? Yes, Ryan DeFrady's Secret Agent. Your listeners may have heard of some of the old episodes. We have um, three new episodes that are out, episodes seven, eight, and nine. And just to kind of back up and talk about um, how this project even got started, um, you know, American Family Association um, has for many years now been a, a cultural watchdog to, to see what kind of negative programs are out there and, and alert families and parents and to try to get, um, you know, advertisers to, to sponsor good programming. But we realized a few years ago that it's not enough to just speak against the darkness, but we also have to be light and part of that is in creating content that's um, family-friendly, that reflects a biblical worldview. And I am so blessed that AFA um, allowed my brother and my brother Jeremy and I the opportunity to create this series. So it's it's a children's cartoon about a spy named Ryan DeFrades. So he um, thinks that he knows everything, and he likes to only work alone and he gets partnered with an unlikely person, his mom. And she is not a spy at all. She is a coupon-cutting, loving mother who is actually very wise. 
and often ends up saving the day because of her her wisdom. And um, each episode has a little biblical wrap up on the end of it and, and tackles a, a different Bible story. And we tackle a different character quality that Ryan learns through each episode. And so today we are announcing three new episodes that are being released. Okay, so I love that you described the the, the characters and everything. What's the target audience of uh, children for this series? I would say probably five and up, five years age and up. Um, we have children even younger, younger siblings that have said that they watch it. And so many people are telling me, oh, no, it's younger, it's younger, but... Um, I would say target audience would be probably five to maybe 12. We, we really tried to aim the, the humor um, a, a little told towards older children. And we found that um, boys particularly have a lot of lack of entertainment um, that's created and crafted for them. Um, and, and girls enjoy watching it as well. <laughs> but um, but it's, it's really fun for the whole family. We've, we've heard some great reviews from parents who say that they enjoy sitting and watching it with their kid. We've really tried to keep the humor um, at, a, at a level that is um, appreciated by all ages. <laughs> well, you know, that's kind of hard to do because I remember when our kids were smaller, the shows that we enjoyed the most, they had the, like, well, for instance, SpongeBob. Um, and there were some others, but the reason some programs are so popular is for what you've just outlined there. The writers take the time to, to slide a little bit of humor in that grownups can, and usually it's idioms and things like that, but it, it, it's stuff that adults are like, oh, that was really funny. It might fly over the heads of the kids, but there's enough content there for them that they don't realize they've missed a joke. And then what's really interesting is later when your kids get older, like sometimes we'll stumble on a SpongeBob episode and we'll sit and we'll watch it kind of out of nostalgia. And the kids will say, oh, I, I missed that. You know, it's a joke they didn't get when yes, they were kids. Yes, it's something they snuck in, but it was funny right. for, for older people. Um, I think that... Um, a lot of times t- today's entertainers underestimate children and parents and family and um, kids are able to catch on to a lot of things. Um, even some of the things you really don't have to beat them over the head with it. They're, they pick up on subtlety more than we realize. And, um, you know, that's one of the reasons why it's it's so important in that content that we provide to have um, positive messages. And um, I know kids they they hear like you said spongebob or hannah montana or whatever the show is and they they quote it and they memorize it and they talk about it so um a lot of times a a parent will hear something from their child an attitude that'll emerge and they'll go where's this coming from and then they'll find oh it's that character on that show Uh saying that thing (laughs) um and so you know that's that's why it's important for us ryan afraidies if he has a bad attitude if he says something snarky or narcissistic because he is very narcissistic (laughs) he's not a perfect character by any means but we always address it and bad um, character is always confronted in every episode so the we have the we we have the age group um and i know we're our our, devin's putting up the um the information for parents who are they've now had their appetite wet by our conversation here and they want to get this for their kids um episode seven eight and nine of Ryan DeFrady's Secret Agent. You can find it at the AFAstore.net, AFAstore.net. They can go there and order. Can they order the older episodes? Yes, absolutely. We have individual episodes, or we sell them in packs of three for a little bonus deal to help the family budget. Okay, so that sounds awesome. Um, Now, can you tell us, I know know you don't want to give away like a whole episode or something, but can you give us like a little taste of what, 
one of the problems is that he gets to solving and then his mom comes in and helps, like maybe an, an overview of an episode? Great question. Okay, so we have um, some great new biblical themes and character qualities that are introduced in these new episodes. Um, one of my favorite episodes is episode eight. It's called Ryan DeFrades and the Undercover Queen. And I noticed that it's it's a longtime problem, but <laughs> particularly with the younger generations of disrespecting authority, um, and t- always questioning and testing authority. And, um, you know, the Bible is very clear about the fact that there are certain positions, you know, honor your father and mother, that um, even teachers and those in authority were supposed to pray for our, our leaders. Um, and so that was something that we wanted to discuss in an episode. Um, and actually, if you don't mind, we have a little clip from episode eight. Um, oh, if you'd like great. to hear just a little piece of that. Yes, let's let's listen. It's the second clip. It's put your wings in the air. Ryan DeFrades, is that you, Willow? Hey, I haven't seen you since the day you crushed my soul. Don't you remember the science fire? You called me Bucktooth and insulted my birds. I swore that day I'd make you pay, and I'd make everybody pay. Look, Becky, I'm really sorry. I shouldn't have said that. You're sorry? Oh, well, in that case, I'll forgive you. Really? Fat chance! You're just some no-good, highfalutin bird hater. That's what you is. Look, Becky, I... You think the sun comes up just to hear you crow? Ain't that right, Ryan? Or should I say marshmallow? <gasps> That's right. When you swelled up like a hippo, I told everyone at school to call you marshmallow. You deserved every laugh you got. And now you deserve <laughs> this. Suffer the wrath of the ninja chickens! Really? I'm not afraid of your little birds. <gasps> they aren't. <gasps> okay. <laughs> so ninja chickens aren't something you normally discuss on your program, I'm guessing. <laughs> well, you know, Kendra, once, um, a couple <laughs> years ago, when my show was a little bit younger and a little smaller, I did share the continuing saga of the Washington's efforts at the uh, at our municipality. I'll decline to say on radio since we're now on every, every uh, station, but... We went down as a family and all five of us testified individually, all three kids and my husband and I, about why it would be right for them to permit us to have chickens on our property because in our town, if an animal is not listed in the documents, then the animal is not allowed. So we can have horses, we can have, I think, goats and maybe even a llama, but we can't have chickens. And now there are about 10 or 12 families in our little town who have chickens on their property and they have these beautiful like designer HGTV little huts and everything and chicken coops. And so we didn't want to be outside the law and get fined. So we went and tried to get the architectural committee to just give us permission. And of course, we were denied. So I shared that on the show. And that's about chickens, but not oh, outsized large ones or anything like you're talking about here with Ryan <laughs> DeFratis. Well, I hate that. You tried to do the right thing and... Didn't yeah, work so we, out. we never got any. Yeah, we never got any chickens. We're still buying our eggs like regular city folk, and we wanted to be those people. But well, maybe we'll have to give you this episode so you can appreciate the the giant <laughs> super ninja chickens and, and their well, ability. they sound fun, and they sound like they don't yeah. have to be taken care of. So I might have dodged <laughs> a bullet, Kendra. You never know. <laughs> well, these chickens are from episode number seven, and the the theme that's actually talked about in this episode 
um, is all about overcoming a grudge. And there's two people that are struggling with grudges. One is, as you, as Ryan referred to her as Bucktooth Becky, you might have heard, not a very kind statement, but she (laughs) took that to heart and years later just held this grudge and comes back to try to defeat Ryan with, they were science fair partners and raised little chicks together. And now these chickens are just... 20 feet tall (laughs) to crush him. So anyways, it's all about how when we carry a grudge, it ends up hurting not just um, unforgiveness doesn't just hurt the other person, but it hurts the person who is holding on to that. And Ryan has Mm. this this um, giant egg that is a stink bomb, a rotten egg that he's carrying around as his weapon for this episode that he Mm. wants to release on Bucktooth Becky. And he ends up learning that um, when you hold a grudge, it stinks for you and everyone else around you. Oh, man. So that is a great lesson. And I'll I'll just share because someone I really like just shared on Instagram that we as Christians, we all often wait until we're done with the trial or tribulation and then we'll share I had this problem and God saw me through and not during it. (laughs) Right. It's helpful, but it could be so much more helpful to just say, you know what? I'm struggling with this, you know, and when you're praying, could you pray for me too? And so it's interesting that you're mentioning the holding of a grudge with this, um, with this episode for kids, because it's a problem we all have. All of us as Mm -hmm. adults, when we're wronged, our tendency is to say, well, I just don't like you anymore. I don't want to spend time around you anymore. And I know I was doing that for a while and, and the Lord has really helped bring me like I feel every time I feel like I'm all the way out of it, I feel the little feeling creeping back like you still I still don't like that person that were mean to me. And um, so it's something we all struggle with. So it sounds like a really great episode. I'm so guilty of this. And the biblical story that's connected to this episode, I love um, it talks about Joseph as an as a oh, example of forgiveness with his brothers. And I love that moment when his brothers come in and he reveals himself. Actually, right before he reveals himself to his brothers, you know, they have sold him into slavery and mm-hmm. treated him so unkindly. And here is this moment where he could seek revenge and he just breaks down. I mean, mm-hmm. scripture's clear that he's crying in their presence and he's trying to turn his face away because he can't keep it together. He sends everybody out of the room mm-hmm. um, and he chooses forgiveness. And he says, you know what the um, others meant for evil, like the Lord, the Lord's going to bring good out of mm-hmm. this. Mm-hmm. Um, and what, a, what an awesome example. I love that um, kids are exposed to some of these biblical stories And, you know, when we were creating it, we kind of wondered, are they going to stop listening as soon as this Bible story kicks in? You know, like, oh, there's the fun part with the ninja chickens and Bucktooth Becky. (laughs) And all of a sudden you shift gears and it's like, oh, Bible time. I got to be quiet. But we've heard some great reports from families that kids actually wait. And in fact, I had had one person tell me that a little sibling set um, every time the Bible part comes on, the older sister says to the younger, be quiet. This is the Bible part. We got to listen. <laughs> and they kind of lean in to hear it because oh, what's so children true. Children are so perfect in that way. <laughs> aren't yeah. they great? I mean, mm-hmm. I think that they realize that, okay, there's these fun fictional world with giant, you know, robot spiders and um, chickens and and cows that <laughs> moo and, and all of this, but but there's something real at the end when we switch gears that there's a truth that's applicable to their life. And I think when they see in their parents' lives their faith lived out, there's a, it creates a craving that they want to be in on what this thing is that's bigger than them. Yeah, I, I totally – I think what we do is we put our limitations on kids. Mm-hmm. Oh, um, that's so the, true. You know, we, what we should do is say, 
this is great content. Um, you know, if, if you giggled or laughed or smiled at all during the clip <laughs> where you're listening, <laughs> then you know your kids will definitely, because kids are so much more ready to laugh and easier to entertain than we are. And then for the portion that has the, the scriptural part, we so it's our job to actually pour these things into our kids, expose them to the gospel, to the scripture, to in, in every form we can find it in. And then when children, given that opportunity, are absorbing that in, they're far less likely to say, oh, here comes the Bible part. The only kids who say, oh, here comes the Bible part are ones who've been told, well, as your punishment, you're going to have to sit here and listen to the Bible or read the Bible, that type of thing. Most kids are open to hearing almost any story. They just love stories. And the Bible is the ultimate story. So, Oh, that's um, such a good point. We we frame it for them when we say, oh, okay, be quiet. We're just going to get through this. Mm-hmm. Then we, um, we train them or condition them to think that the Bible is something that you just have to endure when some of the best, most profound stories, just like you said, you know, um, as a story writer and content creator, um, I've studied story structure. And in in school and screenwriting classes, we talked about what are the elements that make a great story. And there's these different phases. It's called the hero's journey that every hero goes through. They have a call to adventure and they have all these different phases. But part of that is they have an inner cave a moment, a dark moment, and then they have a death and a resurrection. Now that can be symbolic in their life, but isn't that true of the greatest story ever told of mm. Christ that, um, that if you really study all of the, the stories in the Bible that point to who Jesus is, they are beautiful examples of story. And we are we are hardwired as humans to love stories. So why not be passionate when we speak to our kids about these life-changing stories that are not just a story, but it's something that really happened when God intervened in the lives of men. Agreed. And so this this is something that we want to give people access to um, that you can find at the afastore.net, afastore.net, the Ryan DeFrady's Secret Agent series. The newest episodes are seven, eight, and nine, but you can get access to all of them on DVD where you can pop it in. And this is especially helpful if you're like us, when we go on vacation, we usually drive and, <laughs> yes. we, you know, so the DVD player in the minivan would be going at full speed. And when you have something like this, where you can pop it in and you don't have to worry about keeping an eye on it, you know, is there some questionable content? It's completely safe, completely created for children, biblical worldview and perspective woven in perfect for those long car trips or even the short ones if you're driving 30 minutes to go to the library there you go there's and hopefully an start some good conversations for your family yes. as well absolutely kendra knox of american family association studios thanks for joining us today appreciate it all right talk to you again soon check it out at afastore.net we'll be back with more This is Uncommon Moments. Here's former Super Bowl winning NFL coach Tony Dungy and his wife Lauren sharing from their book Uncommon Marriage. Adopting children has made Psalm 139 come alive to Tony and me. Verses 15 and 16 say, You watched me as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. We've kept those verses in our heart for many years. We know God has created all of our children for His glory and for them to be a part of our family. And God knew before they were born that He would lend them to us to love and care for them here on earth. If you're considering adopting a child, read Psalm 139 and ask God to show you His plan. 
Tony and Lauren Dungy, authors of Uncommon Marriage, learning about lasting love and overcoming life's obstacles together. Discover more at CoachDungy.com. My heroin addiction had me living in filth. The sole reason I got up in the morning was to get high. But at Teen Challenge, I broke free from the drugs. Now I have goals and dreams again, and that is an awesome feeling. If you or a loved one are struggling with addiction, Adult to Teen Challenge can help. There are centers across the country, and you can find the one nearest you at 855-END-ADDICTION or at teenchallengeusa.com. This is Urban Family Talk. Stand by. The B-Sack Radio Show spotlights Christian rap artists. But never try to put me on the pedestal. The Lord is working on me. I'm getting better still. Hear in-depth interviews and news about upcoming releases. What's your motivation? This Jesus, he's our motivation. Motivation. B-Sack is the biblically sound artist coalition. Ready or not, ready or not. Don't miss the B-Sack Radio Show. Saturdays from 10 a.m. to noon central on Urban Family Talk. I'm Chad Pergram with the Speaker's Lobby. There's lots of impeachment chatter now on Capitol Hill, but only a fraction of the House favors impeachment of President Trump. Consider this. There were efforts to impeach President Richard Nixon as early as May 1972, a month before the Watergate burglary. Ironically, House Democrats nearly lost their chance to bring an impeachment resolution against President Nixon. Democratic Massachusetts Congressman Robert Drinan introduced articles of impeachment in the summer of 1973 over the secret bombing of Cambodia. Then House Majority Leader and later Speaker Tip O'Neill said Drinan, quote, had a good case, but he damn near blew it, close quote. O'Neill believed the House would have overwhelmingly defeated Drinan's impeachment resolution, and that would have locked in lawmakers as opposing impeachment. Such a scenario could come into play now. Politically, it may be best for Democrats to pause, waiting for exactly the right moment to pounce on Mr. Trump. A quick trigger out of the Drinan resolution may have meant President Nixon served out the balance of his term. The Judiciary Committee prepared articles of impeachment for the president in 1974, but Nixon soon resigned. With the Speaker's Lobby, Chad Pergram, Fox News. Welcome back to Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Wednesday, Otero County commissioners unanimously passed a state of emergency declaration calling on Governor Michelle Lujan Grisham for help. As Border Patrol says, migrants continue to come across at unprecedented rates. There's no hiding there is a crisis on the border. Every agency with boots on the ground on the border right now will say there is a crisis on our southern border. The declaration is asking the governor to deploy the National Guard back to the border to reopen checkpoints. Last month, Border Patrol announced the temporary closure of all interior checkpoints in the southwest sector, which encompasses New Mexico so the agents could help out with processing migrants. Commission Chairman Coy Griffin is concerned about the safety of his residents, as he says law enforcement has seen a spike in crime and illegal drugs since the closure of the county's two checkpoints, but did not give specific numbers. I believe that it's a direct result of having our checkpoint shut down. So the state of emergency is pretty much just a shout out to cry for help, to get our checkpoints back open. In a statement, a spokesman for the governor's office said the National Guard does not and would not operate federal checkpoints. They went on to suggest the county should address their concerns with Border Patrol instead and reach out to the Department of Homeland Security and Emergency Management for assistance. The county is also threatening to take legal action against the state for not protecting their citizens, something Griffin says the governor promised to do when she took her oath of office. Wow. So that's a reversal, which means it really is a crisis and it's not a manufactured one. 
Um, in just a sec, we're going to get, uh, we're going to flip over and go to a bit of audio from a bunch of Democrats, well, two Democrats and one Republican who've joined together to form a black Jewish caucus at the American Jewish Committee Global Forum. And I have some comments on that. Also, we want to have your uh, opinions in as well. Uh, call in lines are open 866-963-2037, 866-963-2037. Join the program by calling in. Um, and so you hear that New Mexico's governor has at first she ran on running through walls. She's an ad where she runs through drywall walls, bursts through them, a simulated classroom, a bunch of different scenarios. She runs through the wall and says, this is what I think about so and so and then runs through the wall in a in a suit, a, a skirt suit. Um, so she she really made a name for herself in being someone who was against President Trump. Well, now she's the governor and she's getting into the real nitty gritty with her job and what she has to deal with. And all of a sudden, now she's changing her tune. I'm happy about it. I'm happy that she's experiencing the realities and actually doing something to try to help the people of her state cope with this this instance. Uh, New Mexico is a border state. They have a lot of these attendant issues that they have to deal with. She should be on top of this and leading the, the charge to protect their citizens there. Um, but there's also the, this other bit of news, which I was just so disturbed to see. These are the Republicans, Mitch McConnell again, saying they don't support the tariffs on Mexico to try to get Mexico to give in to the president and finally help us with this onslaught, this invasion of people coming over the border. So the former president of ICE has actually weighed in on President Trump's tariff threat. He says he agrees with the president 100 percent. It's number three. I agree with the president 100 percent, and I agree with the tariffs. I mean, I heard the, the, the monologue earlier. You know, I understand that the tariffs may have a short-term effect on the economy, but it's money, 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 money. My concern is what price you can put on our national security. People need to understand what's going on at the border, and the president understands this. Forty percent of border patrol agents aren't even on the line anymore. They're taking care of these family units, which means the border is vulnerable. If, and one thing no one's talking about, if you're a terrorist in the world that wants to come to this country do us harm, you're not going to buy a plane ticket. You're not going to try to get a visa because all the checks being done now after 9-11. You're going to enter the country the same way 12 or 20 million other people entered, especially now when there's chaos on the border and such a great vulnerability. I'm not trying to be a fear monger, but this is more than a humanitarian crisis. The president is trying to secure our nation and protect our national security and cut down the vulnerabilities. And, and so what would be wrong with just acknowledging that without a functioning border, we're inviting terrorism? And so liberals are always saying, well, we haven't had any terror attacks yet. So we have to wait until Americans are dead before we can do something about the border. That's what they're saying. So he's right. Um, I, Mitch McConnell is wrong. He's, of course, bought and paid for by the Club for Growth and or I'm sorry, not the Club for Growth, the Chamber of Commerce. And the Chamber of Commerce is for open borders because they get cheap labor out of that. We've got to put a stop to this idea that the Senate can just rise up and say, well, our conference doesn't support. Who cares what you support? The American people support the president doing what's right on the southern border. Stop trying to block it, Mitch. Stop it. As as is one of the little favorite hashtags on Instagram. Stop it right now. Let the president do what he was elected to do. Um. So now I want to turn to this. And this is important because this announcement by Debbie Wasserman Schultz, Lee Zeldin, who's a Republican, and then 
Brenda Lawrence, who's a Democrat from Michigan. This announcement of this new black Jewish caucus is an acknowledgement that Rashida Tlaib and Ilhan Omar have now attained a nexus of power that is greater than that of the Congressional Black Caucus. And, and I want to say one more thing before we, we play this audio. We've often kind of wondered aloud to ourselves. Uh, I've, I've seen articles written about it. Why doesn't the Congressional Black Caucus ever do anything to help black people? Well, if they were to try to pass legislation to help black people and black people were to start in mass, the ones who are not already in the middle class, to start to realize that a lot of the different things that we're uh, experiencing as a community, so I'm speaking of the statistical realities for blacks having higher negative outcomes socioeconomically in interaction with the prison uh, complex, educational wise, these things are a result of democratic rule. So if the Congressional Black Caucus started pr proposing legislation that would actually help black people, that would put them at odds with the party positions for the Democrats, right? So that's why you've seen inaction from them. They just sit around and do nothing. Well, sitting around and doing nothing means you're going to have dissatisfied constituents and you're going to become known for your inaction. CBC is known for its inaction. The only time they get riled up is when they think they see some racism. And even then, they're denouncing the racism, but only if they say if they can pin it on somebody who's on the right. If it's some racism in their own party, they're silent. So now they have to get together with Debbie Wasserman Schultz, who actually has some pretty conservative views when it comes to the preservation of the Jewish people here in America and abroad. And they have to acknowledge that these new progressives are actually promoting policies that hurt blacks and Jewish Americans, and that if they're allowed to maintain their newfound power, Jewish Americans and black Americans will be hurt, significantly harmed by this new rising tide ushered in by the Democrats. They're trying to fix their own Democrat-created problems. So listen to what they're saying here and see if you can catch some of the underlying issue and what they're kind of dancing around in this announcement. It's number four. And I want to thank the leadership and the staff of the American Jewish community for having me here today to announce the launch of the Congressional Caucus on Black-Jewish Relationships. There's a lot for our communities to celebrate of a rich history of working together, of coming together during the most trying of times. But right now in 2019, in the months that are ahead and the years that are ahead, I with our co-founders and hopefully with as many members of Congress signing on as well, can write a history of still what's in front of us, the challenges we still face. Given these times that have often become toxic and even deadly for both communities, Brenda's vision which is what I, one that I share, that Lee shares, Will and John share, and all the members that will join our caucus and our efforts share, and that is that we know that we are stronger together. So they're stronger together. Now, some of it is, it's really, it's, it's, you're literally looking around and you're saying, so who's not in the progressive caucus? Who's not beholden to Ilhan Omar and Rashida Tlaib, who, who doesn't buy all of this garbage. They're looking around and the older, less progressive Jewish members, because remember, I've always said Debbie Wasserman Schultz is a radical, but compared to Rashida Tlaib and Ilhan Omar and AOC, Debbie Wasserman Schultz is a moderate Republican compared to them. 
that's how far off the the they're and I don't like the plantation imagery, the usage of that constantly. It 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 doesn't serve us well. But so these people are off the reservation. I don't know if that's offensive as well, but they're 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 far away from what normal Americans see as good policy. Yeah, they have their delegates in California who believe in that garbage. But look at California, the land of human waste and drug needles and homeless people. And, you know, God bless you if you're living there and you're not one of these hardcore Marxist communist folks. But the, the, the entire state is run by these people. If the state isn't chock full of them, but they've set up the political system there so regular folks can't get elected. So they're looking around and getting the lay of the land within their party. And they've realized in order to have any sea change at all, or even forget sea change, in order for them to just withstand the onslaught of the progressives and their nincompoopery, the ridiculous ideas, et cetera, they need to band together. But my question is, will the Jewish representatives tell the black representatives that they need to lift their moratorium on trying to get legislation passed that actually helps their constituents? Will the Jewish representatives say, you know, there's a few things we know as the Jewish community, we're very successful in a number of areas of American life. Maybe you would like some policies like that, or you'd like to legislate like that, whatever. Will, will there be any of that? And the reason I ask that is because in the end, when people elect these members to go to Congress, um, they're not electing them as a pure popularity contest. That has something to do with it. You want to win for your side, obviously. But they're sending them to Congress because they have issues in their district. And these people all run on fixing those issues. And then when they get there, they, do, they don't just do nothing. They do less than nothing. They actually make things worse. I mean, I just, you know, it's one of those things where I kind of wish, and I know being a media person, I could never sit down with Brenda Lawrence or Debbie Wasserman Schultz or Lee Zeldin and, well, you know, Lee Zeldin is a Republican, but I, I'm talking about the kind of candid conversation where you just say, do you see how the Democrats have been running inner cities for all this time? And do you see the status of the inner cities? Do you see the carnage and the suffering in the black community and in inner cities across this country? And if you do see it, if you can just admit that it's there and that Democrats are in charge, is there anything you'd be willing to do or propose that would help with that? And instead of hearing them blaming the people who are living in these conditions for them to just say, you know, we haven't done the best job of promoting policies that help our constituents, but we're going to change that. We have this new caucus. We're going to get together and we're going to have some hard conversations and we're going to come up with some ideas and, and we don't care where the ideas come from or who they sound like or what they look like. What we care is that they're different from what we're doing now and that they work. Now I know you're probably thinking, Stacy, that is some seriously wishful thinking. And maybe it is. But it is just so overdue. I mean, how much worse does it have to get? Some doctor, some, some physician who was completely apolitical is now worried that we're going to see the bubonic plague in Los Angeles and San Francisco due to the homelessness, the public waste laying around in the streets everywhere. There are enormous rats. There's a huge rat infestation in San Francisco and in Los Angeles. And so that those conditions, and of course the drug paraphernalia, that those conditions are conducive to the return of the bubonic plague. 
another physician is worried that because we are now seeing an, a rapid spike, it's a huge spike in the number of people who are coming in through the southern border who are coming from Bangladesh and the African continent, that we could also possibly see Ebola within our borders. Ebola. It's like that nightmare virus that they always put in movies that kills hundreds of thousands of people, only this is no movie. It is a nightmare and it's totally real and it could come in through the southern border. I mean, if this isn't God removing his hand of grace and mercy from us because we just refuse to turn away from our sin, I don't know what else it could be. If it's one thing America has always been, it's that we've always had just, God has been so gracious to us in protecting us from huge outbreaks of, you know, mass, mass die-offs from diseases. We just haven't had that in our modern history. So I'm talking about the last, you know, 75 years or so. We've just not had it. Other nations have. Uh, Remember when mad cow was a thing and, you know, thousands of people were dying? It didn't hit us. Um, Remember when the bird flu was a thing? Tens of thousands of people were dying from bird flu. We had a very minimal interaction with it. People actually think that's because, you know, we're so great or because, you know, the, yeah, I love flying the American flag just as much as anybody else. I'll read you the list of um, military decorations I earned while I was on active duty. You're not going to find a bigger flag-waving, gun-toting Bible thumper than me. But the reason we haven't experienced a lot of the carnage that we've seen across the globe is not because we're so fantastic or our flag is epic. It's because we've enjoyed the protection of the Almighty. He has had a hedge of protection around us and he has showered us with untold blessings and mercy and goodness and kindness, so much so that the blessings have overtaken us and flowed out in front of us and surrounded us. And now we think we can just do it all on our own and we're still going to be able to run with that it's not so all right if you're leaving us now god bless from the heartland you're sticking around onenewsnow.com news and information is live for you up next